It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown, there was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And this is episode number 500 of Play Like a Jet, a momentous occasion. We're going to talk about the Jets and the Giants game coming up later today. This is the Jets-Giants pregame report and mailbag. So for that, we bring in the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And of course, above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, 500 episodes. How about that? 500 nice big round number very well done impressive stuff congratulations on that thank you chris and i have to say there's no way that this show would be able to do what it does on a daily basis without people like you and matt stabukowski and daryl slater and michael nania joe blewett although joe blewett's borderline retired from doing film right now and all the people that regularly appear all the people that have appeared even once on this show have helped make this show get to 500 episodes so really appreciate everybody who's appeared on here and i thank everybody who was good enough to listen to this show over the course of the 500 episodes and i promise that if you stick with us we will keep delivering these shows on a daily basis and now that we're doing the daily show because remember for the first year plus it was only once a week. We could be at 1,000 in no time. Yeah, and hey, you know, eventually this team is going to be at least decent. <laughs> uh, so, so if you've stuck through the first 500, you ride it out because eventually this team's going to get to at least decent. I'm not even going to go for, as far as good because that seems so far away, even though uh, it's probably closer than it, it seems. But eventually they're going to get at least decent. And then you can have a little bit more excitement. I, I know, like, uh, the off season this year had to be probably one of the most exciting times because of how excited everyone was. Well, eventually that excitement is going to be realized to some degree. So, you know, just keep riding with it. Yeah, you, you, We've got to this far. Just keep riding. Eventually, eventually they have to turn it around. You would hope so, Chris. And that is the big question right now. How are the Jets going to turn it around? They're going to start by playing the Giants at MetLife Stadium. It's a home game, but there's going to be a lot of Giants fans, obviously. We talked a lot about the ins and outs of the game and what you need to know about the Giants on Friday with my old buddy John Schmillick. Man, it makes me feel so old that the two of us got our start in the radio business together as interns so many years ago, and we've stayed in contact all these years, and now John works for the Giants, so it was really fun to catch up with him and break everything down. We'll talk about the injuries later on with Dr. Stoller as well. As far as the keys to the game, I think you got a pretty good idea from the podcast 
on Friday. Ultimately, if Sam Darnold plays better, even if the Jets don't win, I think we can agree, Chris, that that is the main thing that Jets fans are looking for. They want to see Darnold play well, they want to see him get back on track, and they want to see him outplay Daniel Jones. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this this is similar to last week against Miami when we did the preview, which was really, you know, just a offensive line block, Darnold play better, and, uh, you know, that that's basically it. And with all the injury concerns the Jets have had, as ba- bad as the Giants are, the Giants are, are going to be missing Sterling Sharp and Evan Ingram. Uh, you know, they're going to be missing uh, some offensive linemen. They've got their own injury issues as well. They obviously haven't been playing good. Daniel Jones is is leading uh, tied with Jameis Winston for turnovers. So as bad as the Jets have been and as hopeless as it all seems, the Giants are pretty much right there with them with the the injury concerns. So it's really just going to come down to which quarterback plays better or whichever defense can force the other quarterback to play worse. And it's really that simple. Uh, but yeah, that the Jets. How can they turn this around? Well, playing the Giants and then Washington two weeks in a row that that's going to be a big step to get this turned around. And just like I said with Miami, if they can't do anything against these two teams, then I, I just don't. I, I don't know where to go from there. Quick thing, Chris. By the way, before we get into the mailbag. I just wanted to talk about this tweet from G-Men HQ, a verified Giants website, verified on Twitter, where they came up with the hypothetical trade and said, who says no and why? Evan Engram straight up for Jamal Adams. Joe Douglas would laugh his ass off at that offer. This is a guy that asked for one and two twos for Jamal Adams, also asked for Zach Martin and Tyron Smith, but he's going to take... A solid, if unremarkable, tight end who's missed 15 games in the last two and a half years. I don't know how you get blue check marks around here, Chris, but the fact that you don't have one and these guys do says a lot. Yeah, well, number one, I've never uh, applied or asked. But you shouldn't have to, Chris. You're a very big deal. Now, that's a fair point. That That is a fair point. Um, but yeah, I mean, listen, I'm an Evan Ingram fan. I've been an a- Evan Ingram fan since before the, uh, he was drafted. Uh, but you just hit it. The, the Joe Douglas was asking for Zach Martin and Tyron Smith, and, and he was asking for two pick, first round picks. Evan Ingram is not that. And then on top of that, it'd be one thing if Chris Herndon didn't exist. But they I, obviously there's concern about Herndon because he hasn't been able to play this year, and this groin injury is lingering. Even though it looks like he'll play this week, um, but th- that's not like. Uh, so Evan Ingram is not something that's going to fix the Jets. You you can get a higher – we know Joe Douglas turned down a higher return than just Evan Ingram straight up. Why would the Jets say no to that? Because they can get a better deal elsewhere, mm-hmm. and they could get draft picks that they could go to addressing the offensive line, which is what they need way more than a second receiving tight end. The better question would have been Evan Ingram for Marcus May straight up, who says no. That's more in line with what Evan Ingram is worth as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I'm still saying no to that, though. I get it completely. I'm just saying I, I'm still saying no to that. Uh, I also recognize my my bias and the fact that I am higher on Marcus May than most people. But, uh, but yeah, I, I completely understand what you're saying. That's much more aligned value-wise. But, again, the – Chris Herndon's going to come back. They like and love Chris Herndon. We saw what he did at the end of last year. 
uh, to and to bring in a second receiving tight end. Does there's way more important uh, situations here, uh, holes that need to be filled, and that's on the offensive line. So if if you're trading Jamal or Marcus May, uh, you trade them for offensive linemen or for draft picks to get offensive linemen. No question. I'm just saying that if you look at the value, I think that right. it's on par, right. especially when you consider that both guys have had serious injury issues. They've both missed significant amounts of time. So if you were going to argue that the Jets should trade one of their safeties for Evan Ingram, it would be May, not Jamal Adams. With that, Chris, let's jump into the mailbag. First question comes in from Michael Palace. He says, history shows that teams are more likely to get a great offensive tackle over a great edge at the top of the draft within the top five, despite more edge rushers being taken. Wouldn't it be better to take an offensive tackle if the Jets get a pick within the top five? So here's the thing. I used to look at stuff like that and think it mattered, but now I don't because I think you just have to look at the individual player, watch the tape, do the appropriate research, and then figure out how you feel about that specific player because it really doesn't matter what Tony Mandarich did versus what Robert Gallery did versus what Von Miller did. None of those guys are paramount to this particular discussion. Trends are trends. But you ultimately have to look at the individual player. And I think you're asking this, Michael, because you've talked about the possibility of picking an offensive lineman over Chase Young. My opinion, especially after digging in a little bit more on Chase Young's tape, is that if Chase Young is available to the Jets at any spot, wherever it is they are, they take him and that's it. You can use your other picks, rounds two through four on offensive line. And I think one thing that Mike McCagnin did here is that he ruined Jets fans' brains in a lot of ways in terms of how you can get good talent. Because he was so bad at drafting after the first round that he made people think that if you don't use a first round pick on a position, you're not investing in that position. That's not true at all. They have four picks in rounds two through four. So if the Jets use three or four of those picks on offensive linemen, if Joe Douglas knows what he's doing, he'll be able to get good offensive linemen. He might even be able to get a great offensive lineman in the second or third round. So I don't think that that's a lack of investing resources in the offensive line. I think Chase Young is just too good. As I joked on Twitter, he's like watching a cheetah. The closest thing I've seen is Steven Strasburg when he was pitching at San Diego State where it just looked like the other guys didn't belong on the same field as him. That's what it looks like when you're watching Chase Young. He has a sack for every 12 dropbacks. Just to give you an idea of how insane that is, Miles Garrett, who may be the best pass rusher in the NFL right now, is averaging a sack on every 34 dropbacks. Chase Young might be the best pure pass rusher I've ever seen at the collegiate level. Now, that doesn't mean that he's guaranteed to pan out, and it doesn't mean that he's guaranteed to be the greatest pass rusher of all time or anything like that. But you watch his tape, and the best way I could put it is he's Nick Bosa, but with elite athleticism and long arms, which are the two areas where Nick Bosa was lacking, because otherwise Nick Bosa would have been basically a perfect prospect aside from the injuries. When you have an opportunity to get a guy that good at a position that important that you need, you have to draft him if he's available to you. You don't pass on a player like that, and then you go and you fill the offensive line needs later on in the draft. And as far as trading down, Listen, my philosophy on trading up and trading down is this. If you're going to trade down, do it if you have a whole bunch of players that are ranked right around the same on your board. 
But if you have a player that you have ranked way higher than the other players on your board, which I suspect would be the case with Chase Young, especially since we saw what Todd McShay, who has ties to Joe Douglas, said to Rich Eisen that it would take a quarterback like Hall for the Jets to trade out if Chase Young was on the board when the Jets were selecting. That's how it should be. If you have a player that you have far above everybody else, the only way you should trade down is if you get an insane haul. And as far as trading up, same scenario. If you have a bunch of players that you think are ranked right around the same, don't waste assets trading up. You should only trade up if there's a player that you think is way, way better than the other players that are on the board and you absolutely have to have them, then do what you need to do. So my answer to your question is, don't necessarily go based on which past offensive linemen or which past edge rushers were picked in those spots. Go based on the particular players. And as far as if Chase Young is on the board when the Jets select him, unless I was getting an RG3 type of deal, and even then I would hesitate, I'm taking Chase Young because I think he has Hall of Fame type potential. Yeah, as far as looking into the history uh, of offensive line hits and um, you know edge rusher hits, I, I haven't looked into that. I don't know what exactly you're looking at, how far back the numbers go. But what I will say is, uh, just without even doing that, I know that in recent years, there's been a lot more hits or uh, misses at the top of the draft when it comes to offensive linemen. And it has a lot to do with the way that college offenses operate now and uh, the way that uh, the differences between NFL and this is why we're seeing uh, so many NFL teams struggling to get good offensive linemen, why there's such a a lack of talent at the offensive line position. It's getting harder and harder. And a lot of that has to do with just simply how freakish and amazing that the defensive players are. So, uh, but back 10 years ago, it used to be if you draft an offensive lineman at the top of the draft, that guy is going to hit because we we knew that guy was going to hit. Now you're getting guys at the top of the draft and they're not hitting. Um, and that's, you know, that could just be bad evaluation. It could be the players, like whatever it is. But I just, I feel like if you look at the entire history and you look at the last five years of history, there's going to be some variance there because that there's a big difference. Um, as far as the other part of this too, is this isn't considered to be a great offensive line class, top heavy offensive line class either. So are you going to tell me that to take the best offensive lineman available as opposed to the best uh, pass rushing prospect that I I can remember seeing since I've been really looking at it like this? Um, I haven't dug into any cha- tape on Chase Young yet, but I have watched plenty of Ohio State, and this guy is is the best I've I've seen in God knows how long coming out of college. So. I'm all for going full offense here, but Chase Young is the exception. If if mm-hmm. he's on board and there, I wouldn't really hesitate to take him. Now, I would definitely 100% field offers for that and see if I could get some huge haul and if I can get some huge haul and then attack the offensive line and other positions, then sure, I would absolutely do that. But – I'm not passing on Chase Young to force an offensive uh, tackle. I, I, I'm not doing that. If if you want to force an offensive lineman pick, then you trade down, gather a bunch of other picks, and do it. But 
Uh, Chase Young is, is an exception here. He is that good, and he is an absolute beast. At just uh, he's a he's a as close to a perfect prospect as you're going to get at that position, and he can be an absolute game wrecker. And then you can get him on the edge paired up with Quinn and Williams, Cole Fadakasi, and Kyle Phillips. All these guys, uh, uh, and that defensive line is a juggernaut. All of a sudden, so yeah, uh, I I get the history thing because again, that used to be how it is. It used to be you pick an offensive lineman in the top ten, and you're going to get a stud offensive lineman. These last couple of years, though, there's been more and more busts at those positions. So, and again, this class isn't particularly top heavy there. So I'm definitely not forcing that in that situation. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in for me. I want to know what's going on with the injuries this week. And that's why we bring in our expert on all things medical, 35-year orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Steven Stoller. How you doing, Doc? I'm good, Scott. How are you? I'm doing better than the Jets are right now. One win so far, heading up against the Giants. I believe Joe Caparoso called this the sewage bowl. This is definitely not the scenario that Jet and Giants fans had dreamed up when thinking about this game a couple of months ago. Let's talk about some of the players that are not going to be in this game and some of the ones that are going to be playing banged up. We'll start with who's out, C.J. Mosley. I spoke to Jamal Westerman, who was a pass rusher for the New York Jets from 2009 to 2011, and now he's playing for the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL, although right now he's on the sidelines at the moment with an injury. And it's interesting, Doc, because what you said on the podcast is that The C.J. Mosley injury feels like it could be a sports hernia to you because it started out as a groin injury and has progressively gotten worse. 
and the timetable for his return suggested to you that it could be a sports hernia. Well, I was talking to Jamal Westerman about that, and he said that in 2011, that's exactly what happened to him. He had a groin injury, and it kept getting worse and worse to the point where it ended up becoming a sports hernia. So I thought that Jamal Westerman, combined with what you were saying, may have very well shed light on what's actually going on with C.J. Mosley. Yeah, I think when you have a groin injury and it doesn't get better you know, by conservative uh, means, it usually is indicative of having a sports hernia that um, generally uh, won't heal on its own and requires a surgical repair. Um, and I think that's probably what's going on with C.J. Mosley. You know, maybe they're hoping that his symptoms uh, can subside enough for him to play a couple of games. But um, even if he does, I would imagine that when the season's over, that he probably will have surgery for a sports hernia. Let's talk about some of the players that were added to injured reserve this week for the Jets, Doc. Three guys that were added, Tremaine Johnson, Josh Bellamy, and Rontez Miles. Their seasons are effectively over. Talk to me about what we know about those three. As far as Tremaine Johnson's concerned, it was listed as having bilateral ankle injuries, so I would assume that their ankle sprains, but I find it kind of odd that you would put them on injured reserve and not try to rehab them for the last couple of games of the season. So that seems a little bit odd. As far as Rontes Miles is concerned, um, to be put on injured reserve right away for a neck injury means that there's some structural uh, damage to the cervical spine. And that's obviously more serious than just a uh, neck sprain. And um, hopefully that he won't require surgery and he can return uh, next year. Um, But I have to assume that there was something on the MRI or CT scan that shows that it's more than a a typical uh, neck sprain. Let's talk about the players that are not going to go on injured reserve, but are also not going to be playing in this game. Neville Hewitt, Ryan Khalil, Daryl Roberts. What do we know? Daryl Roberts said a calf injury, which I believe occurred during practice. So uh, it's most likely uh, a strain to the uh, gastrocnemius muscle, which bleeds into the calf causing uh, pain when you push off on your foot. So being that he was unable to uh, practice, I would presume that he's not going to play this week, but it's something that can be treated conservatively and should be able to play in the next uh, week or two. Ryan Khalil has an injury to his knee and I haven't seen any reports of his uh, MRI, but apparently he was limited practice on Friday. So there's probably no structural uh, damage to his knee and it's just a matter of controlling uh, pain and swelling. So um, I don't know if he'll play, but if he was able to um, have a limited practice on Friday, then it's not anything uh, severe. Um, as far as Neville Hewitt's concerned, he has what's called a stinger or a burner injury. And this is caused as a result of an injury to the nerve roots that exit uh, the neck and it's stretch when the head is forcefully pushed sideways um, in the opposite direction of the shoulder. 
And what the player feels is an electric shock that goes down his arm. And that's usually associated with numbness and possible weakness that can last for um, several seconds or sometimes longer. Now, if this is his first episode, and he should be able to return to play when his symptoms resolve, you know, which would be numbness or weakness in that arm. However, if the player has a history of prior stingers or burners, then a full evaluation of his cervical spine needs to be done to rule out other pathologies, such as a narrow spinal canal, um, which could put the player at risk for a potential catastrophic injury. So that would uh, require further tests such as an MRI or CT scan. But um, I'm presuming that this is, you know, one-time episode. So if he doesn't have any numbness and he has no signs of weakness in that extremity, then he should be able to play. Let's go through the players who look like they're going to play, although they are listed on the injury report, so they're probably not 100%, but they should be out there. We'll start with Henry Anderson. Um, Henry Anderson, you know, it's an ongoing um, injury for his AC uh, separation or sprain. Um, And I would think at this point that he certainly should be able to play. Um, Again, they could, you know, strap his AC joint down, um, with a brace, tape, um, in addition to extra padding underneath his uh, shoulder pads. So I think it's really a pain management uh, situation in his case. Kelvin Beecham. Um, Kevin Beecham, from what I understand, is a limited practice, and he had a high ankle sprain, which we initially thought was just a regular ankle sprain, but being that he was out this long, um, it's obvious that it was a high ankle sprain which is um, similar to the injury that Saquon uh, Barkley has. Brian Winters. Brian Winters, you know, it's the same injury that he had, I think, since uh, training camp. Um, He probably has instability in his uh, shoulder that um, he's able to play through with wearing a shoulder harness. So I think that really nothing has changed with him. And I think, as I mentioned um, and prior episodes that I think that he'll probably end up with surgery when the season is over. Demarius Thomas. Uh, Demarius Thomas is listed as having a hamstring uh, strain. Um, and I think last week it was a hamstring and ankle. And I think it's all related to the fact that he had a uh, Achilles tendon repair last year. He probably has some muscle imbalance that um, is aggravating the healing process of his uh, hamstring strain. Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell uh, injured his knee. He had an MRI, which was negative, um, which is good. So there's no structural uh, damage to his knee. So it's a matter of uh, reducing any swelling or pain that he has. And if those things are um, under control, then he should be able to play. Christopher Herndon. Christopher Herndon, uh, apparently his hamstring strain was more severe than um, initially described. So I think that he's been in limited practice this week. So I would imagine they probably, you know, wearing compression shorts or, you know, taping that he should be able to uh, play. Jordan Jenkins. 
Jordan Jenkins, I believe, re-injured his uh, calf, which he uh, sprained, uh, strained earlier in the season, and he probably re-aggravated Steve McClendon. Steve McClendon um, has a neck sprain, so that's an injury to the tendons and uh, muscle and ligaments in his neck, um, being that there's no uh, structural uh damage except for the soft tissues that it's just a matter of pain management and when he's comfortable um and the spasm is uh decrease and he should be able to return to play and last sort of business stock let's talk about luke falk what's the story there luke falk um apparently injured his hip which is going to require surgery and um you know, unless he sustained a fracture, which we know he didn't, then the most likely injury to require surgery in the hip would be a torn labrum. And the, the hip has a labrum uh, no differently than the shoulder, and it's uh, similar to the meniscus in the knee. So if it's torn, it doesn't have the uh, blood supply to heal on its own and will require an arthroscopic uh, repair. So um, I think once it's done, I think he'll be fine. But I think that's what the injury that he most likely has. He's a 35-year orthopedic surgeon, and his insights are second to none. You heard what he said about Blake Cashman for months, and it ended up coming true. You heard about what he said with the sports hernia with C.J. Mosley, and then you heard Jamal Westerman talk about how that's exactly what happened with him. So you know that you're getting this straight skinny from the doc here every week on the pregame report. Doc, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. For everybody that wants to get a hold of you and talk about this stuff or anything involving the Jets, how can they do that? On Twitter, on Steven Stoller ND, or on the Aging Athlete on Twitter as well. Thanks, Doc. Talk to you next week. Now let's jump right back into the mailbag with Ed Valley, who you're going to hear from later with the weather report. He says, I have two hard-hitting questions, gentlemen. First, what are some realistic expectations down the stretch? I'd like to see Darnold play well and see what our teen rookies can do. More Wesco, Austin, and Adoga now that Austin has been activated. Two, it's almost Thanksgiving. What are your favorite side dishes? I personally got to go with stuffing. That question is beautiful. I love that question. Thanks, Ed. We'll start with the football question, and then we'll get to the Thanksgiving question because I love Thanksgiving. The first part of this, what can we expect from the Jets down the stretch? It's really hard to say because they do have teams on the schedule that are not good. They're going to be playing against the Bengals. They're going to be playing against the Redskins. They're playing the Giants later today. These are all teams that aren't good, and in theory, the Jets should have an opportunity to win that. They should also have an opportunity to win against the Dolphins when the Dolphins come in because it'll be a home game. They lost on the road, but they'll have a rematch at home against the Dolphins. Those are all winnable games. So you could look at a Jets team that if they rally and they're able to get their crap together, so to speak, they might be able to win five games, six games even. But this could also go the other way. They could easily lose to the Giants later today. They could easily lose to the Redskins. They could easily lose to the Dolphins again. If they play the way that they did against the Dolphins last Sunday, they could lose all of these games and they could be 1-15. in And a big component here is whether or not they quit on Adam Gase down the stretch. They looked lifeless against Jacksonville and against the Miami Dolphins. If they go out there and we don't see what we perceive to be top effort, 
against the Giants later today. If that happens on the road in Washington the week after, you could easily be looking at a 1-15 season. So it really depends on how they do the next couple of weeks. You've got the Giants, you've got the Redskins, two very bad teams. If they lay down against these two teams, you could very well see a season where they don't win another game. But if they roar back and Darnold starts to play well and they show some fight, then maybe they end up finishing 5-11 and 11 or something like that. Chris, I'll let you answer that, and then we'll get back to the Thanksgiving question. Yeah, that's, that's really it. The main thing you got to look for is how this team plays and responds to Adam Gase. Look, I have... Clearly, I've seen enough of Adam Gase. I'm ready to say that I would move on from Adam Gase. But I do get why people are saying, hey, stop calling for him to be fired immediately. We're halfway through the season. They still have all these games. Because the reality is, if they can beat the Giants, they can beat Washington, they can beat the Bengals and Dolphins, and they end up with five wins, uh, then Adam Gase is almost certainly not getting fired. So that's something to look at. You're going to have to look at, the offensive line, can they at least not, again, not necessarily play better from a physical standpoint, but mentally, can they stop blowing assignments and looking like a total mess? And then obviously the main thing is you're going to w- want to see how Darnold does, how Darnold does now with Chris Herndon coming back, how that helps um, his chemistry with with Darnold and the Darnold and Herndon chemistry. Maybe that frees up more things for uh, Robbie Anderson and he can start uh, – making more plays and showing why the Jets should bring him back. Maybe that gives Le'Veon Bell some more room. Maybe Chris Herndon, while not a top-level elite blocker, he's obviously not like what Gronkowski was as a blocker, but he is a solid blocker. Maybe him coming back can help uh, the offensive line a little bit and help Le'Veon Bell a little bit there. So those are the types of things that I'd be looking at. Of course, I'd still be watching Quinn and Williams to see how he's coming along. Uh, maybe he gets some more reps because this is another thing people are talking about uh, his lack quote unquote lack of impact, but he's also not out there at getting as many snaps uh, partially due to the early injury. He left because of the wrist injury last week. Um, but so that's, that's something to watch. Continue to look at Nate Harrison, see if there's something there. Um, Juma Doga and Alex Lewis on the offensive line. So there's still things to look for here. Uh, with as many holes that need to be addressed, you want to look for whatever bright spots you have. Uh, even someone like Brian Poole, who's had a really good season, is he going to continue that and make you say, hey, we need to bring him back next year because he's on the one-year contract? So there's little things like that. But the main thing is really <clears throat> Adam Gase, uh, the players, are they playing for him? Are they still making the same mistakes? And obviously Sam Darnold. Now, as far as Thanksgiving side dishes, and we're going to talk more about Thanksgiving in a mailbag closer to Thanksgiving, I'm sure, because we'll mix that into the football talk. You have to that time of year. I like them all, to be honest with you. I like sweet potato. I like candied sweet potato. I like cranberry sauce, especially as my friend Sal likes to call it, canberry sauce. The cranberry sauce that comes out of the can, I'm a big fan of that. I love stuffing. There's really no side dish for Thanksgiving that I don't like. To me, Thanksgiving is a great holiday because it's all about eating food and watching football, and what more can you ask for? Yeah, I mean, as far as the the main meal of Thanksgiving, like, you know, you get the turkey and gravy, mashed potatoes, and, like, 
cool, but like, give me that stuff and let me put that aside for my leftovers. Let me make my turkey sandwiches with some cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes on that for my leftovers. And I'm going to crush that and I'm going to love that for the next two or three days. But to me, Thanksgiving is all about two things. It's all about stuffing and, and sweet potatoes. That's it. Those are two of my favorite things in the world. I love me some stuffing and I can eat stuffing. I could eat stuffing every day of my life if you if I had it um, presented to me every day. I love stuffing. I love a good sweet potato. So uh, Thanksgiving Day to me is all about those two things. I'll eat a little turkey or whatever, but I'm focused on those two things. And then I take some of those for leftovers as well and I eat them up and I love it. Uh, but the, I, the turkey sandwiches I make for leftovers are much better and I enjoy more than the turkey I eat on Thanksgiving. On Thanksgiving, that, that meal, I'm all about my stuffing and, and my sweet potatoes. And, and I am a happy, happy person. Next question comes in from Peter J. Dillard. He says, gentlemen, two questions. The obvious is, would you trade Jamal Adams in the offseason? The other, assuming Gase is fired, if not, the question obviously becomes irrelevant. Which players on the current roster are you keeping moving forward to truly bring in the Bam Bam Douglas era? So let's start with the first part of this. I would trade Jamal Adams if they get a good offer. I wouldn't necessarily trade him just to trade him. If you're going to end up getting nothing more than a second and third round pick, I'm keeping him. But if you can get anything close to what Joe Douglas was asking for at the trade deadline, a one and two twos or a one, a two and a three, something like that, then yeah, I would move him because I think that despite what they've been saying publicly, that relationship's been fractured. And I think that Joe Douglas probably realizes Jamal Adams is the only asset he has that he can use to leverage to get the kind of draft ammo that he needs to really fix that offensive line, fix the cornerback situation, and fix the edge rusher situation. As far as the second part of the question, which players would I keep? The obvious answer here is you'd keep Sam Darnold. You hope that he gets back on track the rest of the season. Quinnen Williams is a building block. C.J. Mosley is going to be here because of the contract, but he's a great player anyway. I would like to keep Le'Veon Bell, but I would understand if they tried to trade him. Jamison Crowder is a guy that should be a piece going forward. I'd like to see them keep Robbie Anderson. There are a couple of others here and there. I like what Foley Fadakasi and Kyle Phillips are doing on the defensive line so far. But let's be honest, the reason this team is so bad is there aren't really a whole lot of keepers on this team. So even a lot of the guys I just mentioned, they're solid players, but if they were gone, it wouldn't be the end of the world. There aren't that many guys that are stone cold, lead pipe lock keepers, and that's why the Jets have such a desperate need at so many positions, and it's why Joe Douglas has such a Herculean task ahead of him. Yeah, I I agree with every name you just threw out there. I would add... um... Uh, Herndon to that and I would also add Brian Poole to that the way that he's playing uh as far as trading Jamal uh yes I would trade Jamal like you said assuming that about the offer uh one thing I want to say is I saw a lot of people saying how uh you know Jamal pouting and and being upset about it was going to crush the value that they'll be able to get and I don't think that's going to be the case the only thing that's going to lessen the value is if Jamal keeps playing like he did last week against Miami. If he every game the rest of the season Jamal looks like that, that might lower the value. 
But uh, if if Jamal gets back to playing like Jamal and the Jets continue to struggle and lose, then teams will be right back to wanting to trade enough uh, for Jamal. And I would I would do that um, as great of a player as I think Jamal is and as good of a player as I think he is to build around. Uh, I just I would take those the picks from there and look to address the offensive line just because it's a much more important position. And uh, it's a much bigger need here to protect Darnold and to give Darnold. And, and I know, you know, there's there seems to be a little growing segment that are at least more skeptical on Darnold. Um, but let's just I, – I don't like using, you know, just one player as a comparison. But let's do this for – humor me for a second. Let's look at Derek Carr. Let's look at Derek Carr when he was drafted. He was someone I liked. And then he had that really good year where – Halfway through the year, it, he was being mentioned in MVP conversation, so that was ridiculous. Um, and I thought at that point, he people were getting a little carried away with Derek Carr because they had such a great offensive line. And then the offensive line slipped, and Derek Carr looked lost and hopeless for a couple years. And now the Raiders have one of the best offensive lines in the league again. And guess what? Derek Carr looks pretty good. So use that as something to lean on. Again, Darnold is only 22 years old, and I'm not saying he needs the best offensive line in football. He just needs a competent offensive line in front of him. So that has to be priority number one, is building a, a, a competent offensive line. And with this offensive line, I've been talking about it all season, There's you could make a legitimate argument that all five spots on that line need to be upgraded and replaced and an only way to do that or get even close to that is to acquire a bunch of draft picks and put that to use there and guess what the only way they're going to be able to do that is with Jamal Adams the only thing I'll add to that Chris is that I don't think that Jamal Adams value is going to tank necessarily but I do think that it's going to be less than it was at the trade deadline because obviously teams are always going to pay a premium in season when they're going for something because that's when the price is the highest and that's when the demand is the highest. So it won't be as high as it was at the trade deadline, but as you said, the only way that it's going to really get significantly lower is if Adams continues to play the way that he did against Miami. Next question comes in from Clifton Hopkins. He says, what do you think happens to Le'Veon Bell after the season? Do you think he stays or goes? To me, it wouldn't make sense to trade him when they just paid him. I think Robbie could be gone, and if he goes, all the Jets really have as a proven weapon on offense is Jamison Crowder. Why trade Bell at that point? He's a proven weapon that Sam can use in the passing and running game. I'm with you on that. I 100% see it that way. I wouldn't trade Le'Veon Bell, but... I do think that Joe Douglas may see it differently. From what I understand, he's not keen on paying big money to running backs. Le'Veon Bell's going to be 28 years old, so he may feel that the $15 million that's due to Le'Veon Bell next year could be spent better in another area. I would like to keep Bell because I think that he's shown himself to be a great leader. If they upgrade the offensive line, I think he can be a major difference maker in the passing game and the running game. And as you said, especially if Robbie goes, and even if Robbie doesn't go, they need weapons anyway. They're going to need to upgrade those weapons. Why trade your best offensive skill player? 
But I could see them moving on from Le'Veon Bell if they get a decent offer, if only because I think that Joe Douglas is not super keen on the asset allocation of paying a running back. I'm not so sure that he would have made that move if he had been the general manager at the time that it was made. So that's my answer. I would keep him, but I do think that there's a decent chance he gets traded in the offseason. Yeah, I do too, and I, I'm with you because the other thing about this that you have to consider – is the real uh, bulk of the contract is is going to already have been paid out. Like, it's this first year of Le'Veon Bell's contract and the guarantees and all that, that really is like, all right, close to, uh, you know, a too much. You've already done that and paid that. So uh, keeping him going forward, I would absolutely do that. Um, now, it depends on what the offer is and what you get back and what you do with that, obviously. Um but it's the same thing with Robbie Anderson. Uh, if you let them go and you're just opening up more holes, this team, it's, you know, you, you have a ship. You're sailing in the ocean, and this is, uh, has some holes in it, and it's starting to sink. And in order to fix it, you're going to poke more holes in it? That doesn't seem to make sense to me. Uh, this team needs talent and playmakers, and we have seen how uh, – well, Le'Veon has conducted himself, how professional he's been, what a leader he's been. <laughs> I, I, it would take uh, a lot for me to move on from Le'Veon Bell, um, but I have a feeling that Joe Douglas would take less from it. So I won't be surprised at all, though I wouldn't do it. Uh, again, this team needs those weapons. And now if, if you're getting a couple draft picks back, and you could obviously get somebody in the second or third round that could probably be close to the value of Le'Veon Bell. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd keep Le'Veon Bell if it was me. But uh, right now, just based off everything I've heard, the way everything seems to have gone, I'm certainly not going to be surprised if Joe Douglas ends up trading Le'Veon Bell in the offseason. Next question comes in from Mike John. He says, do you think there's any chance that if Sam Darnold continues to regress, Adam Gase finds a way to get in Christopher Johnson's ear, convince him that Sam Darnold isn't the guy, that McCagnan made a mistake making the move to get him, kind of the way that Cliff Kingsbury did in Arizona with Josh Rosen, and sells Christopher Johnson on the idea of drafting one of the quarterbacks, whether it's Burrow, Tua, or Herbert in this upcoming draft as a quote-unquote Gase guy that Gase needs to really run his system. This is a really interesting question, and I think this is a nightmare scenario for a lot of Jets fans. I think a lot of this has to do with how much Christopher Johnson and Joe Douglas really believe in Sam Darnold, because if Christopher Johnson's confidence is starting to wane, I'm not saying this could happen, but it's probably more plausible than some of us want to admit that Gase could try and make Sam Darnold out to be the problem here because he could say, I know you brought me in here to work with this guy, but look at what Cliff Kingsbury did with Kyler Murray. He recognized that Rosen was a sunk cost. This Darnold guy is not the guy. I've worked with him. I've been with Peyton Manning. I've been with great quarterbacks. Look what I did with Jay Cutler. I got good production from Ryan Tannehill, which you and I could argue with how good the production is with Ryan Tannehill, but I'm saying this is in the context of him trying to convince Woody Johnson. We need to move on from Darnold, trade him, and then draft this guy that I think can be the real guy that I can use and bring to prominence and make my franchise quarterback, the Cliff Kingsbury scenario. 
I will say I think the thing that stops this is Joe Douglas seems pretty high on Sam Darnold. And on top of that, Gase himself was hired to work with Darnold. So I would imagine that part of Gase's sales pitch here was that he thought that Darnold was super talented and here's what he could do with Darnold. So if you're Christopher Johnson, you could say, well, this is what you said to me, Adam, when I hired you. You said this guy could do this and this and you could do this with him. But then again, this is Christopher Johnson. And as we've seen, he's not really the best at making decisions. So I suppose it's not impossible. With most owners who had a clue, you would think that this scenario is ridiculous. But with the Johnsons, I can never rule anything out. Yeah, my immediate reaction is it's a laughable scenario. and uh, But also, yeah, I could, I could see it happening. Um, <laughs> because, because, first off, Adam Gase has, I don't, you know, I'm sitting here saying this laughable scenario. But I also thought it was a laughable scenario to hire Adam Gase. Uh-huh. Um, and as you just said, Adam Gase wanted this job. He wanted this job. He wanted this job because of Sam Darnold. And then for him to go around a, 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 a year later after having this terrible offensive line, after doing such a poor job of coaching, to turn around and say, yep, this 20-year-old kid's not the, the answer anymore – I would think that most people would look at him and be like, you know what? No, you're not the answer. Get out mm-hmm. of here. But the way that Adam Gase came in here, the way that he was able to seize a, a little bit of control, driving Mike McCagnan out of here, um, he's got some sway. He's got some sweet talking towards Christopher Johnson that could work. I could, I could, I, I can't laugh at it with with the way that things have gone and the way it seems. Um, I can't say that Christopher Johnson wouldn't do that. Uh, I think it would be silly and ridiculous. Uh, but, I, I mean, I, what do I have to point at that would say Christopher Johnson isn't going to do something that would be silly and ridiculous? Precisely. It's scary. It's ridiculous. But with the Johnsons, it's not something that you can rule out. We can laugh and think it's absurd. But it doesn't matter what we think. We thought, as you said, that hiring Adam Gase was absurd, and they did it anyway. So really, the lesson with the Johnsons should be, whatever it is that you think is logical, don't necessarily expect it to happen. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Michael Nania. He says, you're stranded on the moon, but you can make your way back to Earth if you find a teleporter hidden somewhere beneath the surface. You can bring three objects, absolutely anything, as long as they are one whole piece, and you can bring three current Jets players to aid you in your quest. Go. This is interesting. I want somebody who's smart, I want somebody who's strong, and I want somebody who's crafty. So with that being the case, I need Jamal Adams because he's going to have the energy to keep going. He's going to be the train of this mission. He's going to slap us in the back of the head when we get tired and we want to give up. I want Brian Winters because I think he's probably the strongest guy on the team. And as far as the smart guy that I want, it's going to be Tremaine Johnson because obviously he and his agent were sharp enough to con the Jets into giving him so much money that they may as well 
12 lit on fire. So if he has that kind of craftiness and that kind of smarts, maybe he has the wherewithal to figure out what to do in a situation like this. So I would take Tremaine Johnson, Brian Winters, and Jamal Adams with me. As far as the objects, I'm going to skip that because this is supposed to be a fun podcast. And honestly, it's going to take me like 15 minutes to come up with something. So I'm just going to skip that part. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start with the, the objects. I'll go with it. I'm going with some type of uh, like thermal x-ray uh, thing so I can look underground and I can look to see it underground. And, uh, and I'm going to bring some type of bulldozer so we can go ahead and dig and uh, unearth this. Um, I'm going to go first off the bat, I'm going to go with Robbie Anderson and I'm going to go with Robbie Anderson just to keep me contained entertained and to uh, give give positive attitude to this. Uh, I feel like Robbie will keep it a little bit light so I'm not stressing all the time trying to figure it out. Robbie will be like, you know, hey, the sun's always out out here. I, I like it here. So um, th- th- I'll do that. I will uh, also go with you, Brian Winters, just for the pure strength. And then I'm going to go the, the the smart guy route, route and I'm going to go Ryan Khalil here. I'm going to go with the center. Uh, offensive linemen typically are among the smartest. Ryan Khalil is a really smart, intelligent guy, and he's going to maybe not great at football anymore, but he's still really strong and really smart. So uh, I'll go with those three as my, my three guys there, but I'm going to be spending most of my time uh, telling Winters and Khalil to do the the heavy work while me and Robbie just sit there and kind of, you know, try to be positive and, and get through this. As long as the sun comes out, Robbie will be happy. And it's all, it's always out there. That's true. Exactly. So he'll be a ray of sunshine the whole time you're on the job. Next question comes in from Michael Christopher. He says, who do you think was the unnamed team or teams that made the best offer for Adams and pushed hard to get Quinn and Williams? List four coaching candidates minus Matt Rule that you'd like the Jets to interview and get the job. And who do you see as potential top candidates if Gase gets fired? Lastly, Connor Rogers tweeted that Jerry Judy and the Jets are his perfect match. But Daniel Jeremiah tweeted back at him saying, no way the Jets would ignore premium positions again, specifically the offensive line. If the Jets can't get Chase Young, am I in the minority thinking that they should go for Thomas Wirfs or Leatherwood and double down in the second round with somebody like Creed Humphrey, the way that the Jets did back in 2006 with Brick and Mangold. No matter what, I don't want to go strictly best player available. I want to build the offensive line, and the only player that I would take in the top 10 besides an offensive lineman is Chase Young. Am I wrong with that thinking? So let's start at the beginning of this. Four guys. Off the top of my head, I would say the two guys that are coordinators for the San Francisco 49ers, whose names escape me right now, are realistic possibilities. I think Todd Monken's a realistic possibility. And I would say that you could shoot for the moon with somebody like Matt Campbell. I know he denied the Jets a chance to talk to him last year, but if you come at him with more money and Joe Douglas already in tow so he feels like there's some stability, maybe he changes his mind. As far as what you were talking about with the draft, all due respect to Connor, I think the only way that Joe Douglas would take Jerry Judy over one of those offensive linemen is if he had just an absurd grade on Jerry Judy. Like if he thought Jerry Judy was going to be the next Jerry Rice and he thought that Thomas and Wirfs were just going to both be like pretty good, I think he might take Jerry Judy. But other than that, I'm with Daniel Jeremiah. I'd be very, very surprised if Thomas or Wirfs were on the board and he doesn't take one of them unless Chase Young is available or a really good offer comes to trade down. I just don't think that he's going to go after Jerry Judy at that spot. 
Again, only thing that might change that is if Joe Douglas has an obscenely high grade on Jerry Judy, then maybe it swings it in the other direction. As far as doubling up, I don't think that's a minority opinion at all. I think most Jets fans are all in on using a bunch of premium picks on the offensive line. For me, I'm fine with using as many of those first five draft picks as you want on the offensive line. The only way that I wouldn't do it is, as I said, if Chase Young is available, I'm taking him, no questions asked. If he's not available, then draft five offensive linemen for all I care. As far as the mystery team, I've asked around about that. I don't know who it was that was making these crazy offers for Quinn and Williams. I can tell you it wasn't the Colts. From what I understand, they did call to ask, but Chris Ballard's not a guy that's going to be winning any bidding wars. He's somebody that probably called to check in and see what it might take to get Quinn and Williams. He also did the same with Leonard Williams, as I understand it, but the Giants made a better offer. And like I said, the Colts have an idea of what they want. They come at you with a baseline offer that they're not going to move off of much. And if it turns out to be a bidding war, it's never going to be them getting the player. I have no information, though, unfortunately, as to who the mystery team was with Jamal Adams or who the mystery team was with Quentin Williams. I don't know if you do, Chris, but I got nothing. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out who these mystery teams were, too. I have not been able to do so. So I'm not sure who they were, uh, what those offers were. Uh, I, you know, I assume they did exist, but I, but I have no, I have no idea there. Um, as far as who they uh, could look at uh, for, uh, you know, a coach uh, ruling out rule, uh, we can go with uh, again. We can talk about Todd Monken. Talk about Eric Bieniemy uh, there, although he he's got some things that you know I don't know if the NFL team's going to hire him. Uh, you could go with Robert Sala, uh, the defensive coordinator from the 49ers. Uh, that's one one of the guys you were talking about. You couldn't know his name. Maybe a Chris Richard again. He's going to be getting uh, you know more and more head coaching offers. So those are some guys you could think about. Uh, you could also go in with some more offensive guys as well. Uh, you know, basically anybody from the Andy Reid tree uh, could be a decent hire. So there, there's going to be options there. I know I was – this week I was planning on uh, release, uh, writing a column uh, going through all this about uh, who they could be looking at. Fortunately, my friend's uh, kid got me sick, so that kind of took me out for the week. Um, but I am planning on putting that up soon. So I'll have some more names for you, but just off the top of my head, those are four guys that I would consider uh, as you know, this is obviously we're far away and there's still a lot of things that could change here because th there's going to be some things that can, uh, could um, make the decision easier one way or another. Like if they trade Jamal Adams and they get a first, uh, round pick and a second round pick or a first and two seconds, you know, something along those lines, then I might be more willing to pass on an offensive lineman for, uh, for uh, a Jerry Judy. Or if they trade down, if they have Chase Young in their sights and they trade down and collect a bunch more picks, and then maybe you can afford to say, hey, okay, well, we can take Jerry Judy with our pick and then we can address the offensive line with our second number one pick and with that number two pick. So if, if you can acquire more picks, then that would make it more likely for Joe Douglas to say, all right, this isn't the position of need, but he's that good. And then we can still get our offensive linemen later. 
then I, I could see that happening. If they're not building up more draft picks that way, then I don't see them taking uh, Jerry Judy uh, to pass on an offensive lineman. But again, I don't know how I don't know how I feel about these offensive linemen yet. I sure as hell don't know how Joe Douglas feels about these offensive linemen. So if he's looking at Worth and uh, these guys and he's saying, "Yeah, I'm not, I don't love these guys," then maybe he would be willing to do that. I doubt it. Um, I think that Dan, first of all, Daniel Jeremiah. If there's somebody out there who would know what Joe Douglas is thinking and know how Joe Douglas thinks, it would be Daniel Jeremiah. So if Daniel Jeremiah is saying that, I'm putting some stock into it. But again, I won't completely rule it out at this point because, again, if they get a bunch more draft picks, then I could see him saying, yeah, I can't pass on on Jerry Judy here and I will get a war for Thomas or somebody with that next pick. And then, yeah, I, I, I certainly don't know enough about the, you know, the second round offensive lineman yet to sit here and talk about that. But I absolutely expect uh, Joe Douglas to do some double dipping. I expect him to try to add one or two offensive linemen in free agency, but I expect him to come away from next year's draft with a minimum of two offensive linemen, most likely three offensive linemen, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's more if they can go and acquire a bunch more draft picks somehow. Next question comes in for me. I want to know which games to bet on this weekend. For that, we turn to my brother Craig, our betting lines expert. You should take his picks that he's about to give and bring them over to mybookie.ag because if you do, you could win some serious money. And here's the best part. When you make your first deposit over at mybookie.ag using the promo code OVERTIME, they will match 50% of your first deposit up to 1000 bucks. So the max is two grand. they will give you 1000 bucks. Anything below that, 50% of your first deposit. You can bet on the Jets-Giants game later today. You can bet on all the games around the league. You can bet on the over-unders. You can bet on props in this game like Sam Darnold versus Daniel Jones, who's going to have more touchdown passes, who's going to have more turnovers between Sam Darnold and Daniel Jones, who's going to have a bigger rushing day, Le'Veon Bell or Saquon Barkley, all that and much more over at mybookie.ag. Remember, use the promo code OVERTIME and they will match 50% of your first deposit up to 1000 bucks. MyBookie, you play, you win, and you get paid. And with that, we bring in Craig, who's actually on vacation this week, but he's still calling in to make sure that we all get the benefit of the wisdom of his picks. Hey, Craig, what's going on? Hey, what's up, Scott and the rest of the listeners? I'm not able to make it this week. I'm actually away. Well, not really away, but on a little uh, baby moon staycation, whatever you want to call it, on the strip with my wife, seeing a couple shows and, you know, having a little last vacation before the baby's born. But, of course, can't miss out on my picks anyway. Three and one again last week. Did lose my teaser, but I'll take it. Anyway, let's get right into it for this week. I'm going to go first pick. Cleveland Browns minus three at home versus Buffalo. Again, I know Cleveland struggled this year so far, but I like them here at home against the Bills. I know the Bills have been good. Haven't really beaten anybody too good this year. So I think Cleveland's going to come up with a big win here at home. I like Cleveland. First pick, Cleveland minus three at home versus Buffalo. Second pick here, I'm going to go with 
I believe this is the Monday night game. It's either Sunday or Monday night. I, I believe it's the Monday night game. I'm going to go with Seattle plus six and a half against at San Francisco. Again, I know the Niners are undefeated. Division game. I just see this being a real tight one. I like Seattle plus the six and a half. It's a lot of points given Russell Wilson, who could arguably be the MVP right now this year. I just, to me, it seems like a no brainer. I think Seattle probably wins the game outright. But I know, listen, I know Niners have been great, but I love the six and a half points here with Seattle plus the six and a half. My third pick here is going to be. A little risky one, but I like Pittsburgh here, plus three and a half at home versus the Rams. I know the Rams has picked it up a little bit lately, but I don't know. I just like Pittsburgh here at home, plus the three and a half versus the Rams. Those are going to be my three picks. And then my teaser is going to be the Steelers, plus ten and a half against the Rams. My second pick is going to be the Seahawks, plus 13 and a half versus the Niners. So Steelers and Seahawks, picking them both as regular picks, going to take them both in the teaser as well, and then also go with the Browns. My favorite pick of this week is the Browns, minus three versus Buffalo. Absolutely love that one. Love the Browns at home this week. So, all right, wanted to make sure I got in the picks to everybody here. Again, sorry I couldn't make it on the show this week, Scott, but figured still got to give you my picks here and, Hopefully everybody puts them in and can continue another winning week. I believe that's six in a row now. I did lose my teaser, so I've lost two now, but six in a row. Let's go for seven. All right, bro. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Craig. Hoping for another winning week from you as well. You've been on quite a roll, so knock on wood. Let's hope that it continues. And if you're going to be using Craig's picks to bet on these games, you might want to go to one of them live. You could go to the Jets-Giants game, or if you live out of town, you could go to a different football game. Or if you don't want to go to one of the games today, you can go to a live event, whether it's a wrestling show, a concert, some other sporting event, hockey, basketball, whatever, and get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you use the promo code OVERTIME after you download the Vivid Seats mobile app. It's even good for stuff like parking passes. Somebody was asking me earlier in the week, about parking in MetLife Stadium. Really, the only way to do it is in advance. Otherwise, you're going to have to park at one of the bars or restaurants and take a shuttle. But if you want an actual parking pass in the lot, you've got to get it before the game. And if you're not a season ticket holder with prepaid parking, you're going to have to go on Vivid Seats and get parking passes. So you can use the promo code OVERTIME on the Vivid Seats mobile app to get yourself a discount, not only on game day tickets, but also for parking as well. So download the Vivid Seats mobile app, use the promo code OVERTIME, and you'll get up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase. Last question comes in from Kevin Zilaznicki. He says, will an animal run on the field this Sunday? Thanks, I'll hang up and listen. I'm not sure about an animal, but Chris, I wouldn't be 100% shocked to see a drunken fan run on the field. Well, that, that I mean, that, that, per, that person would probably be an animal as well <laughs> fair um but or at least acting like an animal uh i do expect one of my favorite things about covering certain games is walking down to the pressers in the locker room and we walk right past the drunk tank and the jets giants game usually provides the best entertainment value of that drunk tank so that's going to be fun but hey that cat could come back they they hadn't caught and found that cat again so maybe that cat comes back um, you know, it'd be great to see a night, a good, a good little puppy come out. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the most likely chance is some drunken fan, uh, come storming out there. Uh, 
And yeah, that, that would probably classify as an animal as well. And with that, we wrap up the mailbag. Chris, thanks so much for joining me for this pregame report mailbag combination. I think this is a good formula because we talk a little bit about the game. We get all the injury info from Dr. Stoller, and then we answer some questions and have some fun. We will talk again next week. In the meantime, we've got our eye on the game later today. MetLife Stadium, Jets and the Giants. I'd say it's for bragging rights, but is it really? I guess the only bragging rights would pertain to the two quarterbacks. You'll have temporary bragging rights on who's better based on who plays better in this game. Although it's obviously possible that both of them play badly and then there's nothing to brag about at all. Let's hope that's not what happens. Let's hope that Sam Darnold plays well and starts to get back on track in this game. After the game, though, Chris, I know that you are going to have plenty of stuff available over at your website, JetsInsider.com. So what do you have cooking over there? Yeah, like I said, I'll have an article about potential coaching hires to consider. Uh, I will be getting to uh, the article about college players to keep a close eye out and to study up on. Uh, I will obviously have uh, a game, an article about the game and how it went, how that turned out, and the result, uh, you know, the positives or the negatives. Um, as you were saying, the, the bragging rights thing, I, I, I know plenty of Jets and Giants fans who are completely – uh, dismayed with how the seasons have gone, but they still want to beat the, the crosstown rivals so they can hold that over their friends. But the tricky part about this is there's going to be fans on both teams that kind of want the loss so they can get the better draft position. So it, it, it'll come back to down to, like you said, the quarterback bragging rights. But yeah, we'll, we'll uh, you know, evaluate exactly what happened, what went wrong, what went right, and uh, see what that remains going forward because again if they can't beat the Giants if they lose to the Dolphins and then the Giants and then Washington next week this this is going to be big so uh we'll, we'll break down everything that happens in the game and looking uh forward from there as well should note also Chris that your deputy editor Alan Schechter the president of the Calvin Anderson fan club right now is in the hospital I was speaking to his wife the other day he was on a breathing tube. As of this recording, they were hoping to be able to get him breathing on his own soon. All he asks is that you keep him in your thoughts and in your heart and that you say some prayers for him if you have it within you to do that. So get well to Alan. Hopefully he's back on his feet soon and writing great columns over at JetsInsider.com because he's missed not only in the Jets fan community, but obviously his presence out there is a positive. He's one of the most positive people and the nicest people that I've ever come across. And so from the bottom of my heart, I hope that Alan recovers and I hope that you have it within you to say a prayer for him and to keep him in your thoughts and in your heart. Yeah, just uh, all the positive energy send his, his way. And uh, we all hope that he gets better and gets better quickly. Before we end the show, I want to close out the same way we close out every pregame show, and that is with the weather report from my man Ed Valley over at Empire Weather. You can follow him on Twitter at Ed V A L L E E W X or at Empire Weather WX. He is the best in the game. His weather reports have been accurate every single week here on the podcast. And so if you're heading to the game today, you may want to know what you're in store for weather-wise. You may also want to know what the weather is like for other games because of fantasy implications. So Ed's got you covered. Ed, tell us what's going on weather-wise today. Thanks, Scott. Quick weather update from the Empire Weather Office meteorologist Ed Valley here. And uh, I tell you, this is a really quick weather update. This is another 
boring weather week, which for your fantasy lineups can be a good thing. Uh, for the Jets and the Giants, hopefully it can be a good thing. Uh, I've given up on projecting uh, the Jets doing anything right of late, but the weather is going to be right for sure here on Sunday. I, I think we're going to start off chilly if you're out tailgating or uh, really doing anything before the game. We're going to be in the low to mid-30s up in the New York City area. And, you know, we're, we're really going to be pretty nice otherwise. Partly cloudy, really no wind to deal with in the morning. So it will be chilly if you're out there early. But for game time, we're looking at a kickoff temperature of 51 degrees. Uh, so still hoodie weather, but not nearly as cold as the morning. We'll have a light southwest wind, 10 to 15 miles an hour. Shouldn't have an impact on the game. Through the game, we'll rise up to 54 degrees. Again, partly cloudy skies. Looks like a pretty nice game. Hopefully the Jets can snag a win, except I'm not sure if I want them to win anymore. Really looking forward to that draft. But should be a good weather day and a good weather day around the league as well. Let's see what happens. Back to you, Scott. Thanks, Ed. Great job as always. And thanks to Dr. Stoller, Craig, and the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, for joining the show as always. I'll be back with Matt Stipulkowski for the post-game report later on tonight. We'll probably have it posted sometime around midnight. In the meantime, though, if you could go ahead and give us a rating over on iTunes, we really appreciate it. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it really helps us out a lot. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.